So last week, we, uh, we spent a little time at the beginning. We talked about uh, the Barna Research Group in their analysis of the state of the church, just looking at numbers. And uh, we talked about how there has been a shifting in church attendance and a shifting just in who would be considered practicing Christians and who considers themselves non-practicing Christians. Talked about that re- briefly, but we talked about that to get to the point that our sh- sharing of the gospel, our evangelism has been very commercial as far as 30-second Legion to Christ really quick. And that's what we're noticing is that the just remember to sign the card, just remember to say this and come talk to us after church and grab a Bible that we may or may not see you again. That's part of the reason I think we, we see the people leaving that are leaving. They're not getting the whole story. They're not getting the whole, uh, the whole picture of what Jesus has done. And, uh, and so we said, how about instead of looking at, looking at research these days to talk about how millennials and Gen Z, they want a story. They want to feel like they're part of a story. We talked about that with marketing. We talked about how that just seems to be a human a human desire for the story has like lasted thousands and thousands of years. People like that story. And the fact is, is that when we open the Bible, we have a complete story. We have, it's, it's a lot of people view it in fragments, but it, it's, it's all one. You know, it starts in a garden and it ends in a garden. And uh, it's, it's a complete picture. It's a complete story. And so when we, when we share the gospel, when we share the story of what Christ has done, we need to share it all. It's more than just sin. It's more than just the sin and death separation. It's the what else you get when you're saved. There's more than just that. It's more than just fire insurance. Um, and so moving beyond a 30-second, even to a five-minute presentation of turn and burn, it's time to go beyond that. It's time to see, you know, like we have this whole thing this whole story. So we got there and then we started going through the story. So I will sum up the story real quick of where we left off. Um, Again, going through the story, kind of taking things out that sometimes we put in the story that just causes fights and people do not listen. Um, We talked about the existence of the Trinity within eternity, no beginning and no end. So you got Yahweh, Jesus, Holy Spirit. They're all there, all there from the beginning. We went through verses that talk about that talked about the creation of a spiritual family sometime before the creation of the physical family, because we know that they're already there when the physical family and the earth is created. Talked about the verses behind that. Um, Talked about how there wasn't really a certain time frame for creation of an unformed and void earth. It's a hill that people just die on for no reason when the the text doesn't provide us with enough. Um, The establishment of order on the face of the earth. We learned how the Holy Spirit was hovering over the face of the earth took care of the discord and the chaos, and the creation began. Um, life is brought forth. The human family is produced. The, the words spoken to us as a human family is to subdue the earth and make it like Eden. Eden is the garden mountain that was on earth. Everything was great. That's the way God had intended it. And the idea that the human family will go forth and we're going to make earth like heaven. Which was how we were supposed to do it, and is now still how we're supposed to do it. Thousands and thousands and thousands of years later. 
It's the same plan. We talked about a rebellious serpent that we talked about being a spiritual being. It wasn't just a talking snake. Connives is planned and executes, preys on Eve, feeds her the lie of contemplating the goodness of God. Is God really that good? He's not letting you do this. And he plays on that. Eve takes it. She takes the bait. Adam takes the bait. Sin and death enter the world. Um, humanity now has a harder job. Things are not going to be easy. But the mission still remains subdue and make the earth like Eden. This is where we start off. So, sin exists. The next step we get in the Bible, we talk about Cain a little bit. Cain submits to sin. When we read those early books, we don't necessarily read about a lot of sin. And they don't talk about the wickedness until we get to a certain point. We're going to discuss that today. Uh, Hard work of the hands. Things are not like Eden. At some point there in Genesis, we start getting a list of fathers. And it, it actually mirrors the list of Uh, Babylonian kings and different things. So there's this present Mesopotamian culture that all of these humans are living in. Um, They start building cities. talks about the cities in early Genesis. Humans are spreading out. Satan is still prowling upon the earth. We're going to call the serpent Satan based on New Testament references to regarding the dragon who was the serpent in the garden. So again, we could do a whole thing on that, but we'll just go with that. We get to Genesis 6. That's where things change again. That's our next big event. We had the kicking out of Eden. Uh, We talk a little bit about the first murder with Abel being killed, but then we get to uh, the spiritual and human rebellion of Genesis 6. This is important because this is what the early Jews, all the way up through the time of Jesus, this is where the idea of depravity came from. A lot of people will will quote depravity, and they just like the minute that, that Adam sinned, It was instant crazy depravity within the human race. And the early Jewish thought, Second Temple thought, the people that wrote our Gospels, Paul, uh, they were under the understanding that depravity came a little later, the depravity aspect of it. There was still sin. People would still sin. This is where it came from. And so we get into this. This is always the weird part in the Bible. People don't like talking about Genesis 6 because it's a bit strange. Uh, So we'll look at it in the ESV, and then we're going to look at it in the Tanakh, too, just to make sure that this is the Jewish reference. Um, But Genesis 6, when man began to multiply in the face of the land and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of man were attractive, and they took as their wives any they chose. Then the Lord said, my spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh. His days shall be 120 years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days and also afterwards, when the sons of God came into the daughters of man, and they bore children to them. These were the mighty men of old, the men of renown. Immediately after talking about that incursion, that spiritual incursion, the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. So just wanted to show you because a lot of people will be like, it's just how, that's a strange story, but how you take it is pretty much dependent on how a bunch of white people 
translated their Hebrew Bible. And so just to give you an example of the Hebrew Bible, um, when human man, when humankind began to increase on the earth and daughters were born to them, um, the males among the divine beings saw how pleasing the human women were and took wives from among those who delighted them. And Yahweh said, my breath shall not abide in humankind forever since it too is flesh. But the days allowed them be 120 years. Um, so it's that story. It, it's the same story. It means divine beings, humans, however that works. It made something wickedness spread. We can go down. People like to go down the conspiracy aisle with this. That's not the point of today. The point of today is introducing the idea of depravity and where all this evil practices came from. We've talked a little bit about the first book of Enoch before. I do not consider it scripture, but I do consider it important. Um, people were reading this. It's quoted in the Bible at least three times. Um, and for understanding Genesis 6, this is a good lens to understand Genesis 6 with because it's going to actually bring about some things that don't just make sense right away when you read Genesis 6. Uh, first Enoch 6, this sounds very familiar. And when the sons of men had multiplied in those days, beautiful and comely daughters were born to them. And the watchers, the sons of heaven, saw them and desired them. And they said to one another, come, let us choose for ourselves wives from the daughters of men and let us beget for ourselves children. So right now, this almost sounds exactly like Genesis 6. And Shemiazah, the chief, said to them, so this would be a spiritual being, I fear that you will not want to do this deed, and I alone shall be guilty of a great sin. And they all answered him and said, let us all swear an oath, and let us all bind one another with a curse, that none of us turn back from this counsel until we will fulfill it and do this deed. And then they all swore together and bound one another with a curse. And they were, all of them, 200 who descended in the days, and then it cut it out on this, who descended in the days of Jared. If you read Genesis, you'll know the era of Jared. Um, who descended in the days of Jared unto the peak of Mount Hermon. And they called the mountain Hermon because they swore and bound one another with a curse on it. So this is kind of the reference where it explains Genesis 6 a little bit more. Again, it's not scripture. It's not canonized scripture, but it does give you the context of Genesis 6. Uh, Enoch 7 starts talking about the depravity that the Jewish people believed started at this point. Um, first Enoch 7, these and all the others with them that took for themselves wives from among them as they chose, they began to go into them and to defile themselves through them and to teach them sorcery and charms and to reveal them the cutting of roots and plants. The base word for cut, the cutting of roots and plants there is also the base word for pharmacology. So it's actually a reference to early use of drugs. Um, and they conceived from them and bore to them great giants. And then you can get down the giant trail. Um, and the giants began to kill men and to devour them. And they began to sin against the birds and the beast, the creeping things and the fish, and to devour one another's flesh. And they drank the blood. So these things that were born were crazy. And then the earth brought accusation against the lawless ones. Azael taught men to make swords of iron and, iron and weapons and shields and breastplates and every instruments of war. He showed them the metals of the earth and how they should work gold to fashion it suitably, concerning silver to fashion it for bracelets and ornaments for women. And he showed them concerning antimony and eye paint and all manner of precious stones and dyes. And the sons of man made for themselves and for their daughters, and they transgressed and led astray the holy ones. 
And there was much godlessness on the earth, and they made their ways desolate, and they start listing the sins. Shemiazah taught spells and the cutting of roots, drugs. Uh, Hermanus taught sorcery for the loosing of spells and magic and skill. Uh, you just go down the list. Astrology, trying to determine things, not relying on God for information, looking to the natural worlds, doing the things. And they all began to reveal mysteries to their wives and to their children. And as men were perishing, the cry went up to heaven. Don't want to stay there too long. But in the Old Testament, you'll, Paul talks about because of the transgressions. And one of his lines that he's writing, I think it's in Romans, he's talking about the wickedness that became because of the transgressions, multiple transgressions. And uh, in Jewish thought, this is where this stuff kind of comes from. And so in their idea, this is where the real, the sins that are very evil in the sight of God, that wound the heart of God, this is where they came from. So you have increased warfare, violence. Now they can kill each other really well. Um, sexual sin, talked about all the things needed for the women to seduce and do all this stuff. And sorcery, witchcraft, drugs, the unsustainable bloodlust, uh, for whatever reasons, who knows, but it said they corrupted the animals too. I always wondered why all the animals had to die on the ark. Just kind of like, why is, he, why is he wiping out some of them, not the others? Anyway, that's the idea for depravity. Depravity enters men. Men now have all of these sin technology, if you will, um, to do the things that they're going to do. That's the thought. So there's something that happens in this spiritual incursion, and it's bad. It's really bad. Bad enough that God's like, I'm going to do the reset. Um, you know, it wasn't, he doesn't like murder. But when Cain murdered Abel, God wasn't like, flood time. It was this proliferation of sin, the sin technology that took everything to the max, to the point where it says the wickedness was just in the heart of men at all times. Um, but Noah finds mercy. And animals and humans, he's going to save animals and humans. God picks humans. He picks Noah and his family. Whatever God's reasoning on that. Sounds like Noah was a righteous dude. So um, he picks the animals that he wants in there, and he takes the animals. The flood recedes, and the human mission is given again. So this sounds familiar again. And God said to Noah, go out from the ark, you and your wife and your sons and your sons' wives with you. Bring out with you every living thing that is with you of all flesh, birds and animals and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, that they may swarm on the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. So Noah went out and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with them. And every beast, every creeping thing, every bird, everything that moves on the earth went out by families from the ark. Um, go out, spread, multiply. That same command that's given in Genesis is given again. Noah's family does spread. If you read Genesis from there, it goes into a list of nations and which relatives were going to go and form nations. Um, you get cities, cities, and more cities. You have a lot of people recognized as city builders. Human populates, the, the humans populate what we would call the Middle East, and even beyond the Middle East, it starts talking about the greater Mediterranean. Um, according to Genesis, one culture, one language, shared experience goes forth. That's why when you look at so many old stories with people, different civilizations, there's a lot of similarities between them because they're all coming from the root stories. Um, they're still not spreading out super far. And then they get to a point where they're like, you know what? Let's have our megacity. Let's just all come back to the megacity. 
And so they start building what the Bible refers to as Babel. And they're, again, just, the, just the everyone coming back to be in this mega city. Um, they're rebelling against God's divine order to go and spread about the earth. And so their thoughts were to build a big mega city um, and tower to rival the heavens. And God comes down and he smashes this complex. And as he's saying, he says, let us go down. So I think he's also referring to spiritual beings that went down and they took care of that. And it says that in the Bible that they were, um, he changed up their languages, that they were spread about the earth. So this is where God divides the nations. Um, When God divides the nations in Deuteronomy 32, um, there's a passage that talks about what he sets up in the nations. Deuteronomy 32, this is part of the Song of Moses. Remember the days of old, consider the years of many generations. Ask your fathers and he will show you, your elders and they will tell you. When the Most High, Yahweh, gave to the nations their inheritance, when he divided mankind, he fixed the borders of his peoples according to the numbers of the number of the sons of God. As we saw before, the sons of God is a reference to divine beings. But the Lord's portion is his people. Jacob is his allotted heritage. So what it's referring to right here is God has put beings over nations to keep order. The humans have rejected him yet again, even after the flood, after he did what he did, after he gave the order, humans come back, stubborn humans do it again. And so this time he's like, you don't want me. You don't want Yahweh. I'm going to give you different spiritual beings over your nations, but I am going to pick my own nation. I am going to have my own nation. I will do my work through my own nation. Jacob, Israel is my heritage. That is my nation. And so this is um, just kind of a synopsis of what I just talked about. Yahweh enacts rulers over nations. Uh, Rebellious humanity regularly fought against Yahweh's commands, but he still has a plan. Jacob is his allotted inheritance. He's going to go through Abram. He's going to get his Israel. Finds a guy named Abram down in Ur, and he sets up his rescue plan with his future and his family. And it is through Abraham's family that all will be blessed and brought back into the family, the holy family. The biblical story goes from looking at all of humanity at this point, this is an all of humanity thing, to starting to focus on a family. Um, Somewhere along the lines, the leaders that were set over the nations, God has taken his place in the divine council. This is Psalm 82. So this is the Israel that's talking about the wickedness that's in the world, the wickedness that's in the nations. God has taken his place in the divine council. In the midst of the gods, he holds judgment. How long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? Give justice to the weak and the fatherless. Maintain the right of the afflicted and the destitute. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. They have neither the knowledge nor the understanding. They walk about in darkness. This is talking about the the nations. All the foundations of the earth are shaken. And this is God talking to them. You are God's sons of the most high, all of you. Nevertheless, like men, you shall die and fall like any prince. Arise, O God, judge the earth, and you shall inherit all the nations. Um. We do know they get judged in the end, these gods. Where do they get judged? What is their future? These rebellious spiritual beings. They're before the throne. They're judged. It's like a fire. That's how they're going to die like men. They're going to cease. 
Um, what's fun is in the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible, when it says arise, O God, and judge of the earth, that arise word is the same word as the resurrection. It's kind of like a look into the future. The resurrection of Jesus is where they lose their power. Um, so this, in Jewish thought, at this point, you now have extra problems. Um, here's what we just talked about earlier. This is our catch-up from everything we just talked about. It's a lot of stuff, but the idea is you can go back and you can watch this too. Uh, so sin and death have entered the world. Humanity now has a much harder job. Rebellious spiritual family brings sin unimaginable down with them. There is depravity on the earth. Humans are ready for sin. I'm not taking any emphasis off of humans and their proclivity to sin. We're good at that, but we had some help. Uh, the flood allows the reset. When the flood is reset, that's also where we start learning more about where the demons. Um, the humans resist the call to spread and flourish. They want to attain greatness into the heavens. Tower of Babel. Uh, Yahweh smashes their plans, scatters, and disunifies. He sets up spiritual beings as regents over regions. These spiritual beings eventually become corrupted. That is where we get our principalities and powers and authorities. That is what Paul is talking about when he's talking about those. That was the common understanding for Second Temple Jews. That's where they came from. So we got some problems now, more than just sin and death. We have lost our place in Yahweh's family, and we have an inability to do what we are actually made for. We have death. We have sin. We have depravity. We have unclean spirits now on the earth. We have corrupted spiritual beings that have places of authority over the world. There's internal human threats that we have to deal with, and we also have to deal with the external human threat or spiritual threats. This is what I'm talking about when you tell people a story. Because there's so much more here, and there's so much more they're going to have to deal with. If this is the Jesus that's going to save you from stealing the piece of bubble gum when you were five and you knew that it was bad, but you, steal, you stole that piece of bubble gum, you just need to repent and we'll be saved. That's part of the story. But this story is big. And after you get saved, why am I still dealing with all of this stuff? Why am I dealing with the evil of the world? Why am I dealing with all this? There are a lot of questions that when you tell a complete story, things begin to make a little more sense. We can't give them a shallow gospel. We can't give them a five-minute gospel. There is a rescue plan that was initiated. We're not going to spend a long time on this because this is the duration of the Old Testament. But Yahweh initiates a plan with a man of faith, true faith, and this is where the Bible zeroes in off of humanity at large to follow his specific tribe. His family falters like all humans. However, Yahweh is in it for the long haul. This family becomes a nation. This nation falters. However, Yahweh is in it for the long haul. When the aged man is ready, Yahweh gives of himself his greatest gift, Jesus. Jesus does it all. He is the unique son of God. He is a son of man, fully God. He is different from the other spiritual beings. He is God. He is the most high in flesh. The uh, Old Testament will refer to him as the word, the presence, different things in the Old Testament. He steps down from eternity, becomes a man in human body, lives with free will. He's tempted. He is not a robot. 
and he does not sin. He delivers the life and death needed to reverse all of the major problems. When you declare your believing loyalty to Jesus, you get everything. It isn't just fire insurance. It isn't just help in trying to live better. He delivers the entire package. He and the Holy Spirit take care of all of the major problems. Let's look at the major problems. Let's look at where they're taken care of. Going back to that list. Loss of being in Yahweh's family and the inability to do what we are made for. Jesus has paid our entry back into the family. Sons and daughters in a familial sense, not just a created sense. We talk about everyone being children of God, humans being children of God. I get that in the man sense, in the race sense. But when you are in with Jesus, you are literally son and daughter of God. You take your place back into a family. Death. He now has the keys of death and Hades. We will see him in eternity, spiritual life forever in a new body. Sin will be no more. Many of these things and many of the things that you have to teach, especially with new Christians and even just remind yourselves, just to pause. Many of these things are part of the here, but not yet here. They're part of the seen and the not yet fully seen. So sin, we have power over sin. Holy Spirit gives us that. And we'll talk about that here. But there's still sin. Sin will not cease until the day of the Lord. When the day of the Lord happens, there is a completion of all of these things. But all of these things have started. They started with the work of the cross and the resurrection. It's working its way through. We are going to die. If someone were to come up and hit me really hard over the head, there's a chance I will die. Jesus defeated death, yes. I will live on in the future. My spirit will live on, but my body will die because it is the not yet. It's the here, but not yet. Sin will be no more. Right now, it can't separate you. It's still there, but it won't keep you from God. Depravity, as spirits came down and taught us the bad things, the greater spirit has now come down to help us fight against the bad things. The Holy Spirit in you, you don't have to live depraved. You have a fighter, a helper that's going to live in you. And eventually, on the day of the Lord, depravity will fade out. It'll be gone. Unclean spirits on the earth. Jesus commanded us to kick them out. He handed us authority both before and after resurrection to take care of the demon problem. It's part of the uniqueness of the title of son of David. It was said and the Jewish people believed that David and Solomon had unique abilities to take care of the demons on the earth. That's part of the title of son of David. That's why some of the, when the, when the, the demons are getting kicked out, they refer to him as son of David because he carried that power and he gave it to everyone. Corrupted spiritual beings and places of authority. We no longer have to submit to any powers, principalities, authorities, etc. Jesus sits, or I'm sorry, Jesus defeated them and is now sitting enthroned at Yahweh's right hand over all of them. Individuals have permission to leave those authorities. You can leave that. They are still out there. They're still doing wicked things. They're still running shows, but you do not have to submit to them. You don't have to be under their power. You can fight against them. This is the gospel. This is the fruition of the story. This is what is for us. This is from the beginning of time and things go sideways to God bringing everything back. 
and then a perfect completion in the future. Full story helps with explaining those top questions initially asked by new Christians. If God is good, why does he allow evil? Did he create evil? We talk about the existence of a spiritual world. A lot of Christians get confused because they come in talking and learning about Jesus, a God in man form who shed his blood and that blood has power and is resurrected from the dead. And we talk about all these spiritual, I mean, that stuff is not logical. We talk about all this spiritual stuff and we say, this is, this is the spiritual nature of things. But then a lot of Christians just say everything else in the Bible, the other 90% of everything spiritual is nothing. So you get a bunch of people confused because they're thinking, oh, this magic Jesus dude coming to pay for my sins. But you don't talk about any of this other stuff that's in the Bible. It's a confusing thing. Explaining to them the existence of a spiritual world in the power of Jesus. Uh, one sin did all of this. So when Adam sinned, it counted, it caused all of this. You don't think Adam could have learned his lesson and taught his kids better and prevented most of this? As we can see, it's the sin of man and it's the sin of spiritual beings. Talking about sin, explaining what sin is, where sin came from. Going against the will of God, as opposed to stealing a piece of bubble gum. Got to shift paradigms on what is sin. And when you shift paradigms on what is sin, it actually causes me when I would shift the paradigm, when I started looking at it as not do's and don'ts, but going against the will of God, it makes me much more sad about the sin in my life. It makes me want to do things differently. It's a personal thing. We can provide purpose. Suicide rates are skyrocketing, especially Gen Z right now. They're, doing, they're looking at that stuff. I'm sure there's social media stuff. There's lots of reasons for this. But a lot of this is a lack of purpose. There's a nihilism that's kind of crept into our generation. I don't, what's the use? What is my purpose? What do I do? What's the point of all of this? Make some money, take a boat on Torch Lake and then die? Like what's, what's the point of my life? And there's a lot of people spending more time on that and they're killing themselves because they don't have a purpose. And it's not like a scare tactic. I'm just saying this is kind of what's going on. The full story of a gospel provides a purpose. You are a member of God's family. You get to do things with God for the betterment of earth for all of eternity. This is who you are. You're not some blip with a day job who has to just be sad all the time. That's not, that's not the intention. Will there be sadness? Yes. This is life. Why is this the only way to God? That's the other thing you hear a lot and doesn't cover. Jesus is just one of the tickets to heaven for a lot of people. But in the context of the whole story, there's no other way for you to be right with God. If you know where it started and you know where it's going and you see the role that Jesus played, there's no question why Jesus is unique and the only way to God. The full story can help us with a lot of this. It can prevent a lot of questions. It can prevent a lot of confusion. Um, and I just, I, I hope that the story is given in the context of relationship. Obviously, I'm not just going to find somebody on the street and be like, I'm going to sit you down for like an hour and a half to give you a super quick story. You know, it's, it's got to be in relationship. It's got to be taking time 
It's got to be like, if you say that you're part of the family of God, you better be showing it. Because when it gets to the family of God part, they're going to be looking at that. So, that's my full story. Um, We can always fill in questions later. Listen, the Bible is intense. There's the level of reading the Bible, then there's a level of really reading the Bible, and then it seems like there's always levels of really reading the Bible that go down further and further and further. I will never understand it, but I will continue to learn it till the day I die. And then hopefully it is all revealed to me. And where I'm wrong, I'll figure it out. Where I'm right, I don't even think I'll care. But there's a lot there, and that's where discipleship comes in. Um, Discipleship is key. You're showing them how to be a family member of God. You're showing them how to learn more. You need to learn at gatherings and small groups. And once you are a believer, we need to learn and discern now how do we live. For some people, it may be a complete reversal of how they live. For others, it may be small changes to align themselves with working with heaven. Evangelism is the good story. The gospel is good story or good telling is what it it can also mean. Broadly speaking, the gospel is the whole of scripture. It is the meta narrative of God's plan to restore humanity to himself. We cannot just focus on one little blip. And the great news is no matter how we get it, we can always count on Holy Spirit to help us clean some stuff up if we need to. So, it's a big deal. It is a full story. There are people that are anxious to be part of the story, the gospel. They don't know it because they think it's about sin and Jesus putting a little cross between two cliffs so they can walk over and be with Jesus and not worry about hell. It's full. Um, so that's what I really wanted to share these last two weeks. It's, it's a full story. There's a lot going on. Jesus does a lot of things. He's not just a ticket. And uh, the creator God loves you. Yahweh loves you. We need to hear that too. We do so much with Jesus. We forget about the role of the entire Trinity. And uh, they're there through that whole process. But I could just keep going. I think I made my point. Um, let's pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you that you are sovereign in your plan. We thank you that you're not a cheater. You could have cheated your way out of this. And who are we to call it cheating? But there's something about the mind of someone, the free will of someone loving on you that is like nothing else for you, evidently. Because you didn't take the easy way. So Yahweh, we thank you for that plan. Jesus, we thank you for giving up what you gave up. You could have just been on earth in your spiritual form and continued to do the things that you do and enjoyed it, enjoyed being with us. But you, you took on our dirty flesh. You took on us. Jesus, we thank you for that. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you take the time and that you're in all of us, that you're providing power and wisdom and help for all of us, that you are our counselor. We thank you that you take the role in pushing back depravity, that you take the role in helping us fight against sin so that we don't 
don't get ourselves muddied up and away from you. We just thank you all, Lord. We love you. We just thank you for, for seeing it through and seeing us through. I just ask that you would show us more and more of your heart as we go out and as we start talking about the story, as we have relationships with people, as we see needs. Holy Spirit, show us where. Holy Spirit, tell us when. We just want to be authentic members of your family. So continue to train us and tell us how. We love you, Lord. We thank you for all of it. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.